Good evening. After a weekend of doubt and uncertainty, Mr. Heath has handed in his resignation to the Queen. wanted to look at the House of Parliament under the most strain it's ever been under in the history of modern Britain. And that was absolutely the Parliament of 1974-79. It was a, a government with, with not enough people to pass its laws. It was a country in absolute turmoil economically, socially, politically. Newspaper this week, but apparently we, the Labour Party, are now in power. One big problem. Oh. It's a mathematical problem and one we definitely have to balance. 301, us, Tories 297. Then we have the odds and sods. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> just a little midi. Tiny one. Yeah. The play is mainly focused on the two whips offices, the, the government whips office and the opposition whips office. And they're the kind of unsung heroes of parliamentary procedure. They make it happen. And, of course, it's to do with coalition and making deals between parties. There's only three in it, Chief. Block some of their big stuff and, and call a confidence vote. And how do we block them? Our lot will be bored and demoralised. It's going to take all we've got to keep them coming into votes all the time. And the other side seems to have successfully seduced the odds and sods. I wanted to forget Downing Street, to forget Whitehall, forget anywhere where the decisions were made and actually look at the engine room. And when you have a hung parliament, when you literally, as a government, don't have enough members in the chamber to pass your laws, suddenly everything becomes focused on the whip's office. They're the guys who literally have to get that law onto the statute books. And so the whips become the most important people in politics. When I came in to Parliament at the end of the 80s, it was very similar to the play, and in particular, the Whip's office was a whole world on its own, a kind of independent barony. Parliament is like a theatre, and the Whip's office was almost like a theatre within a theatre. The Whip's job is to get you to vote for the government. Sometimes that's easy, sometimes it's hard. They have different ways of trying to persuade potential rebels to vote with the government. They can appeal to your better nature, they can get the leader of the party to have you in for a nice chat, they can threaten you. And just occasionally, whips have been known to back people up against the wall and physically threaten them if they don't vote the right way. But it really does fall to the whips to deal with MPs who insist on voting with their consciences. Your persistent displays of disloyalty under normal circumstances would not only not be tolerated... Disloyalty! Who to? It'd be disloyal to go against my principles, surely? This is a whole... And it's very easy to get a reputation as a rebel if you weren't to what the Whip's office wants. And I certainly acquired a reputation as a rebel in my time. It feels like it was much more tribal in, in the sense that Tories would come from upper-class, upper-middle-class backgrounds. They would protect their interests. The Labour politicians would come from uh, union backgrounds. 
The political culture, when I first came into Parliament, was very masculine, very male. People were much less concerned about how they looked, um, because, of course, Parliament wasn't televised in those days. It was a hard-drinking political culture, and it was the opposite of politically correct. Just don't feel you have to tone it down. So that bird in the office will be cranking it up. Do you like football? I think one of the keys to understanding 70s Britain is that it's a sense of come down. You know, that we're the top dogs, we're the empire on which the sun never sets, and then by the 70s, we're the whipping boy of Europe. The government couldn't seem to keep a lid on inflation, it couldn't seem to keep the trade unions under control, bombs in Northern Ireland. You know, it's one bit of bad news after another. There was this kind of sense of crisis. I didn't know a huge amount about the 1970s. I was born in 1982, so I wasn't alive. I really loved going and speaking to members of parliament at the time, diving into archives, papers, thousands and thousands of books, and um, just speaking to people who were around at the time. For me, that's the fun part of doing a political play. Tories, we need a little bit more uh, reaction to the vote. This is a crucial loss for the government, isn't it? What's wonderful is that every time we came up with a sort of dramatic problem that we found hard to solve, you know, just a bit of research and a look at history would provide a really entertaining answer um, because the reality is just far more interesting than anything anyone could make up. Well, I'm afraid we now think he must be dead. For example, John Stonehouse, when the government's just about got enough majorities to start passing laws, he uh, fakes his own death and throws himself allegedly into a sea off Miami Beach. And then you have stories like Jeremy Thorpe, the leader of the Liberal Party, who was accused of attempted murder, cleared of all charges, it has to be said, but he was accused of murdering his male lover. I look at it and go, God, how am I going to fit that in, into this? That's one story of, of 25. This is extraordinary stuff, and I think it contributed to a sense among the wider public who were baffled by all this. I think it contributed to a sense that politics just got completely out of control, that these people weren't actually addressing the needs of the nation, the big systemic problems that Britain had, but that sort of got completely sidetracked into this flamboyant world of affairs and scandals and all the rest of it. Finish it! Finish it! Oh, I see. You slide on. Well, your big guns are brave enough to go to the first, so you're setting in some cannon fodder to test the lamb. The lamb the slaughter. Lamb? Don't make me laugh. Have you ever spent any time with her? And I think that one of the funny things about this house is that Thatcher always is this presence, actually. And you know that she's waiting there, in the wings, as it were, ready to come on and to change everything. And it's impossible now, I think, to watch a play like this house or to think about the period between 74 and 79 without a sense of the lady just waiting for her moment and then coming in and, you know, changing everything. 
We are now in session. <laughs>